You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last nine years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how you doing this week? I just got into it. I can already hear uh, Carl whining in the background. This son of a bitch. This bastard. You know what? He just, you try to to do a, a puppy a solid. You try to tell him, look, if you if you mind your P's and Q's and behave yourself, I'll let you stay in the room. And uh, then he's fumbling the bag. You know, mm-hmm. we're not we're not two minutes into the thing, and he's fumbling the bag. Yeah, I think in the relationship between the puppy and the grown adult human man who has been recording a podcast for nine years, who allows the puppy to stay in the room during the recordings, we should definitely focus on the behavior of the puppy in that relationship. Look, I'm trying to help the guy out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to be like, look, maybe, maybe you don't have to be thrown outside all the time just because I'm recording. Maybe we can just let you be in the house, let, let you be a member of the household and I don't know if he's responsible enough. That's what it's coming down to. You know what? A, a, a major development, though, in Carl's life is that he has recently discovered the tennis ball. Okay. Yeah, that's a big moment in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. Like just I had one in the garage uh, and got it out and bounced it for him and like rolled it to him. And he was just like, what the fuck is this? And why didn't somebody tell me about it sooner? So that's that's been a big thing for his life. This was a, his first exposure to any ball, any ball game? You know what? At least his first exposure to a ball with this, the let's say, the consistency, the brightness, the, the bounceability of a tennis ball. Uh, speaking of which, however, I can't help but notice over your shoulder there on the old bookcase, you seem to have found a place for... Your your hurling ball, which we received in the mail, but I also remember us being corrected on a fact that it's not called a hurling ball. It has a name. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I just, we got to shout out Daniel Harrigan. We talked about it last week on Doing the Damn Thing. A longtime CME listener over there in Ireland, the fictional country of Ireland, sent us these these hurling balls in the mail. So if you're on Patreon and you're watching the video version of the show right now, yes, you can see behind me, I've proudly got my personalized hurling ball uh, displayed in the background. I did not know that someone, I assume, from the fictional country of Ireland had corrected us on a fax. What do you call these wonderful flying orbs that are used during the game of hurling? You know, rather than attempt to pronounce it, I will spell it. Okay, great. Yeah, spell it because uh, Gaelic words often very phonetic in their pronunciation. S-L-I-O-T-A-R. So basically, some dune sounding shit. Some shit that sound, it, it, it at least just jumps off the page at you at something that sounds like, you know, a form of transportation in the world of dune. And yet that is the name of that ball. I do not know how to pronounce it, but you got one now. Yeah, I mean, given I've got one here for you too, man. Yeah, we just need got to my get, name we on just it. need to to get it to. It literally has your name on it. Uh, you know, given my previous 
exposure to Irish words. I'm going to assume that it is spelled that way, but it, that it is pronounced hurling ball. So just going to go with that for now. Uh, ben, Bellator and the UFC both gave us some bangers over the weekend. Max Holloway won yet another fight of the year contender over Yair Rodriguez on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Chris Cyborg knocked out a woman whom she was a 40 to one favorite over and then had a bit of a tete a tete with Kayla Harrison. And so we're going to be talking about that stuff this week. Oh, yeah. And Conor McGregor was extremely online. So he's going to get some of our much needed attention as well later in the show. But first, a programming note. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME If You Nasty and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, you should check us out over on Patreon because we are over there all week long with three additional podcasts, patreon.com slash co-main event, a patronage tier for every budget. This week will be a normal one with the proper dropping today and then a full week of Patreon content coming to fill out the rest of the week. That being the live chat on Wednesday, doing the damn thing on Thursday and the power hour on Friday. The CME will be off next week, however, for Thanksgiving. I'll be on the road a bit with my family, so I'll be out. Uh, maybe we have a couple of goodies to unexpectedly drop on your timeline, uh, but feel free to take the week to gorge yourself on turkey. Reconnect with the family. The CME will return full force. Monday, November 29th, with the proper, and then an additional regular week of the Patreon content. We got music this week from our guy, the Funk Soul Brother, a retired amateur MMA fighter and hip-hop producer living in Seoul. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more at Instagram.com slash FSBeats or YouTube.com slash Funk Soul Brother Beats, uh, just to carry on the grand tradition of having to spell at least one word in the name of the musical acts we feature. We should note that the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is spelled S-E-O-U-L, because that's where he lives. See what he did there? Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez was a goddamn work of art. Frame it and hang it in the Louvre. The Louvre. Nailed it. Did I nail that one? Nailed Louvre. it. I watched a pronunciation video before I said it. Nice. So, uh, nice, bro. Louvre. Yeah. yeah. In round number two, Chris Cyborg is calling bullshit on Kayla Harrison coming to Bellator. But in this sport, we have to be able to dream. Plus, it made a nice moment. And in round number three, Conor McGregor. What's become of you, man? Pacing around in front of the TV before Max Holloway's fight like a dog when there's a squirrel or a cat in the show we're watching? Just embarrassing. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Ben Gabriel on Patreon. He writes, how fucking great would it be to be in attendance at the Apex? All the seats seem great, you can hear everything, and there's booze. I'm not saying it beats Madison Square Garden. I'd absolutely take it over the Altoona, Mississippi, 4x4 Fathers, Tires Arena, and Performance Center. <laughs> okay, is that a real one? No, that's made up. But I mean, the point is well made here, right? Are I, you it's sure real. it's made up? Are you I, sure? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure, but you can you can fact check it if you want to. Uh we have given the Apex Arena 
a lot of good-natured ribbing in the past here on this show, Ben. The future of fighting and all that. Dana White's big promise, which turned out to be just an arena, which at the time felt like it was going to affect the future of fighting largely for him uh, and nobody else. But then, as we have always also said on this show, it turned out to be uh, incredible that the UFC had its own arena right next door to the old office building during the pandemic, where it could go over there and set up a home base and just have fight night events ad nauseum. Uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic without having to worry about going on the road, without having to worry about even booking a joint. They just got one across the street where they can go put on shows wherever they want. And now, as Ben Gabriel notes, you got people coming into the the arena to watch the the event. You got guys sitting in, in easy chairs out there in the <laughs> apex watching the fights. And I got to be honest, it does frankly seem like a dynamite place to watch a live MMA card. It does. And it seems like... While you definitely notice a difference in the viewing experience, right? Like, and the thing we got used to during the pandemic, where we had so many fight cards that were basically in empty arenas, and we surprised ourselves a little bit with some of the the positives that came from that. That it felt like we're hearing everything, we're hearing corner advice, we're hearing what strikes really land. Like, Jesus Christ, the the. The sounds of Justin Gaethje wailing on Tony Ferguson are probably seared into my brain for the rest of my life. Just the dull, dreadful thumping sound over and over again of leather on flesh as he is just whacking Tony Ferguson upside the head. I'm not going to forget that. And that's the kind of stuff that you get from the empty arena experience. And... Also, the not having to hear a bunch of fans going woo like assholes every 15 minutes, not hearing people boo a takedown, not not dealing with some of that stuff. I think we were all a little bit surprised, like, hey, this, this ain't so bad. We could get used to that a little bit. And then when we get back to the big arenas for the big events, you're reminded, oh, yeah, that crowd energy does bring something. It does yeah. make it feel like a different kind of event. But now you're kind of in this in-between zone where you're at the the small apex and it's it's there's a real friends and family vibe to the whole yeah. thing you know no, i mean like i was saying it's like guys are in their living room literally they show the crowd and we're all sitting in like big black leather easy chairs uh that looked like they dragged him right out of dana white's house and, and threw him out there for everybody to sit in yeah and i mean to some extent it is kind of a friends and family thing sometimes of like who we get in there but it also i it almost has that feel of like you are in attendance at a warehouse fight in a Van Damme movie. You know, you had to know somebody to, to even get in there. And yeah. and you're there with your betting slip, like in the background of Street Fighter 2 going, yeah, 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 like at the, in the, the, the chain link fence separating you from, from Blanca and Dalzim. And I think that, like, again, it seems kind of surprising to be like, you know what? This works too. There's it has a different vibe. There's a whole different feel to it, but you know what? This ain't this ain't the worst way to watch a fight either. Yeah, and I think you make a good point that it it kind of further stratifies the line between these fight night events and then the big time pay-per-views where you get, you know, you go to the to the big arenas and the crowd is there and going crazy. It really does make those numbered events feel special and feel 
uh, like they are an event, which we've talked about a little bit the last few weeks. It seems like the UFC has really figured out a, a system for for doing that and then still giving us fights like Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez back at the Apex, where you could, in fact, hear the sickening thuds of the of the hundreds of punches that those two guys threw at each other, landing on each other's heads, which I think makes for like a really intimate and good viewing experience. Uh, it can't be easy to get into the apex. And I've seen on Twitter that it is also not cheap that the apex uh, tickets, if you can get your hands on one, what are we talking about they, here for like, it's like a fight night event. I don't know. I didn't chase down the actual number because I don't live in Las Vegas, but uh, I saw on there that it's, it's, it's not a bargain certainly to get into the apex. Uh, I wonder if there are people though, they're like, it's their normal Tuesday thing. Where they're like, ah, Contender Series is tonight. Going to go try to stand in line at the Apex, try to snag a ticket down there for my Tuesday night, my my night out. Man, you can't. Are you going to really tell me that even the Contender Series tickets are expensive? I have no idea. I mean, like, it's got to be a scarcity issue if there's only like what a hundred of them, or I, however many people they're putting in there. I guess, but still, like, it should fee- it should have the appeal of a minor league baseball game, and that it's a reasonable cost, and we're going to go and and doesn't really matter who's playing. You know, we're going to go and for the experience and the ambiance and have a good time. Because if you go into a contender series fight and it's not like my buddy Chris from the gym is fighting tonight and this is his big shot, then you are just showing up to see absolutely, literally just some fights. Like yeah. That is what you're there doing. Uh, and yet, you know, we talk about all these things that it's where it's really nice for the UFC to have the apex. But every time Dana White's asked about it, you get the sense that he's dying to get back out on the regular travel schedule for even the UFC fight night events. And to, you know, to be back and like hitting Greensboro, South Carolina, and then we're in Raleigh. And then we're, you know, like we're going all over the place to the kind of places where we can sell a bunch of tickets just because it's the UFC in town and nobody's even thinking about the fight card. Like he seems like he's dying to get back to business as usual rather than thinking about this the way a lot of companies are thinking about working from home where they go you know what hey maybe we found out we don't all need to be in the office as much i keep waiting for signs that the ufc is is thinking maybe we don't need to be out on the road as much maybe we can keep costs down by staying home at the apex and have this real controlled environment and everything but it does every time dana white talks about it it seems like that is absolutely not a way that he is considering it well, I'm sure he's excited to get back to that live gate money. And uh, there is also some anecdotal evidence to suggest that maybe Dana White is not a homebody, that maybe he doesn't like just sitting around at his house all the time. You know, if we can take any cues from his his blackjack schedule and uh, the fact that he does seem to like to go out on the road with the UFC. So, yeah, I would uh, I would be not surprised at all to learn that Dana White is ready to get back to the lifestyle of which he has grown accustomed uh, next question this week comes to us from the plant-based platypus. Okay. Who writes, what do you make of John Jones going up to Arizona to train with Henry Cejudo and the team at Fight Ready alongside uh, Eric Al... How do you say this guy's Al-Barasin. name? Albaracine. Nailed it. And Eddie Cha. Cejudo seems to be taking a Habib-like approach to coaching while he's young. Uh, is this type of move that will further sharpen his tools before his heavyweight debut next year? Uh, so you did see this, right, on online that Jones yeah. had been going up there and posing for some pictures with Henry Cejudo and uh, I believe your boy Eric Anders was getting in some work, too, that Jones was up there in the, in the gymnasium with those guys. When you see... John Jones and Henry Cejudo squaring off on the mats. Are we just doing it for the sight gag? Yep. For Bruce the size Lee disparity. Death, <laughs> yes. Abdul-Jabbar type scenario. 
Yeah, because that is the thing, right? We talked about this before, that if John Jones is looking to create a different training environment for himself, there's probably a lot that he can get done in his garage or, you know, just going over to the different location of Jackson Wink. And yet the thing that's really going to come down to is training partners, is where can he get the bodies that he needs to prepare, especially to prepare for life as a heavyweight, because that is one thing you hear all the time from uh, you know, gym owners, trainers, fighters, is that heavyweight is the toughest just to find training partners, just to yeah. find guys that size who are good and who are willing to get in there and, you know, get their ass kicked in sparring, uh, either for pay or to help just to help you out. Like, that's the tough thing. And that is historically why MMA sort of evolved along this super gym model rather than the boxing model of, uh, just convening a training camp around a fighter when it's time is because there wasn't enough money to be just out here paying all your sparring partners and bringing everybody else you need on the payroll. And the way it would work is that if we all get together and we're around the same size, we'll help each other. You help me when it's time for me to fight. I help you. But that only works if, you know, you we are each other's ideal kind of person to help prepare. And John Jones goes up there and he doesn't have those bodies or doesn't have enough of those bodies, especially... It's not like you can just walk into any gym in the world and be like, how many Francis Ngannou's you got here? I'd like for you to help set me up with a couple of Francis Ngannou's. I'd like one one fresh Francis Ngannou for each round, please. Like, you can't do that. That just doesn't yeah. exist. So that's going to be the issue he runs into. Right, yeah. That, and that's going to be the issue anywhere yeah. he goes. Although, James, at this point, John Jones is one of those guys who we can assume has the the financial stability to bring in whatever bodies he feels like he needs. Like he's, I think it's always perennially all the time, no matter where you are going to be a problem to try to have to simulate Francis and Ganu. Uh, Cause as far as I know, we only got one of those. And if there's a bunch of them running around, I'm not leaving the house again uh, because I've seen what they're capable of up against a guy like Alistair Overeem. Uh, who's a little bit larger than myself. So I'm going to keep it around the house, but like, uh, it's, it's more to the point, up there at the Henry Cejudo gym, if John Jones is going to make a practice to go out there, I mean, they've, they've been doing good work, man. You, like, you got to like what they did with Henry Cejudo, like what they've done with, with Zhang Wiley. Like, if John Jones is looking to, to add some wrinkles to the stand-up game, it seems like they've, they've really had some success up there. Well, sure. I'm sure there's value to just getting outside of your usual bubble and learning from different people. There's tons of people, I'm sure, who would have different, like, useful things to show John Jones. And he seems like, you know, he, or at least early on, had the reputation that he was just sort of a sponge soaking up everything from all different sources. I do still, though, think that now his own fame and his own reputation preceding him is going to be a little bit of an obstacle because you walk into somebody's gym you're John Jones, man. Like they're, you're not just, you can't just be like, Hey, I'm dropping in. Like, uh, show me what you got. Like, there's going to be a, a sort of a different treatment. If you're going in there and you're doing some sparring, everybody you're sparring is going to have it in their heads that here they go. They're going with John Jones, you know? So I do wonder how some of that is going to work. And especially sometimes when John Jones gets out there, seeing the world, you know, experiencing new cities, Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you 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 got to take your meals out at a restaurant, perhaps with a bar attached. We've seen that doesn't always go great for him. Yeah, I maybe. mean, hopefully this gym is in a dry county. 
That's what, see, we need to like convene it like an old John L. Sullivan training camp where that's like, get him up there at a training camp in the Catskills or something and tell all the local pub owners, if you see this man walk through the door, alert his, his handler and coach immediately. And uh, we'll come take care of the situation. Though it also makes you wonder if John Jones is another fella who maybe would just l- welcome the excuse to not be at home right now. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if he has a Bilal Muhammad style philosophy that like he doesn't spar with anybody he doesn't know. I could also see John Jones having more of an approach where like he likes to whip a dude's ass in sparring. Like whip a random guy's ass in sparring and then after it's over be like, hey, kid, tell your grandkids about the time you sparred with the great John Jones. And then he just kind of strolls away. Uh, I assume with his 30 day punch card that he gets punched at the front, the front desk when he comes in, says open gym space for Jonathan. Still got some punches left on my card. I mean, I th- the problem is not that like you're going to go in there and get your ass kicked and spar him because everybody is bringing their absolute best stuff. The problem is if they are seeing it as here's my one chance to do something against John Jones or like here's my chance I better really do some shit otherwise John Jones is going to hand me my ass. You, you, you could just fuck around and just do something reckless that hurts the guy. You know, without necessarily beating him up and sparring, you just do something dumb and injure him. And like, especially if you're in a situation where there is kind of one fight that everybody has in mind for you and the window of opportunity for that fight isn't going to stay open forever. And it may not even be open, even if everything goes well, just because of the way the negotiations have gone back and forth. You don't want to miss it because some asshole tried to fucking Iminari roll into your knee and uh, like tore your meniscus or something, you know? You you don't want to fuck around with that stuff. Yeah, 30 years later, that guy's still telling that story. Uh, Man, I mangled his knee. He was crying like a baby. (laughs) Yes, I will take another Coors Light. Uh, (laughs) Next question this week comes from Mr. Peanut Butter, who writes, So Herb Dean's officially got the yips. How many times does he have to do this before he's removed from high-profile fights? Uh, This this wasn't even a high-profile fight. Is Ben Rothwell, you know, the what was this, the co-main event? Yeah, it's a co-main out there with Marcos Rogerio de Lima. It's a, almost as high profile as it got this weekend out there at the Apex, Ben Folks. I mean, we're not doing a title. It's not a title fight in Madison Square Garden is what I'm saying in this instance. And and it, But it is like this was a bad one where yeah. I feel like. Herb Dean has taken some shit for stopping fights late, stuff like that. And other people might take shit for stopping fights early, but you got to be decisive. The thing that you can't let people see is that you have not made up your mind because they will seize on that. And here's one where, you know, uh, Ben Rothwell's getting teed off on and clearly it, it does not have a whole lot of a response. And so there's, it gets into that gray area where, it could be stopped while he's still standing. And you're kind of looking for that, especially heavyweights, you know. And he kind of, he, he drops down. It looks like he goes out there for a second. And you can see Herb jumping in. But that's like, he goes out just for a second. And then comes to and goes right for the takedown. And then Herb's going to get out of the way. And he's going to try to let that fight go on. Yeah. And then Marcos looks up at him like, bro, I saw you. <laughs> I felt you touch me. Like... You were going to get in here. What are we doing? And then 
Herb's response is basically like, oh, you saw that? Well, okay, then I guess I got to. And then he is sort of goaded back in there after yeah. stepping back out. And that's what you can't allow people to see as a referee. You can't allow them to, to see that you are going to be manipulated by how the fighters are looking at you and reacting to you. Like, you you need to make up your mind right or wrong and go with it. Yeah. You know what else has not historically been good for the tenure of high-level MMA refs is when Dana White starts talking about you at the post-fight press conference. Uh, and obviously... As we say on this show over and over again, being an MMA ref is an insanely hard job. We ask for nothing but perfection from these human beings who are out there in almost a unique position in all of sports in that at any moment during the contest, they are called upon to make a split second judgment call that then ends the entire sporting contest and it cannot be restarted at that point. Uh, It's almost like a bang, bang play at second base in the middle of the third inning of a baseball game. They just randomly decide, oh, that's the end of the game. Uh, Hope you got it right, ump. Uh, But this has been a a string of these now for Herb Dean, who has been one of the better refs in the sport for a long time. And I don't know, man, is there, can a ref just kind of get old? And and as we say here in the, uh, in the question, get the yips. Like, is is that a thing that like you can just kind of. You know, like a golfer that can't hit him straight can a ref get the yips and that's he's got to work his way out of it or that could be it? Well, I mean, I definitely believe that a ref could suffer either a, a like a, a crisis of confidence or just such an awareness that people are paying attention to you, ready to talk some shit on you, ready to hold this up as another example that you suck at this and shouldn't be doing it anymore. Like, I don't think it's physical, you know, you're, you're getting old and you can't keep up with the pace of this sport so much. Like, I don't think it's that at all, but I do think it could definitely, I, how could you not get in your own head about it sometimes? Especially if you come out of, of an event and you're one of the three topics of conversation, you know, that he's, he's only human. He's got to be aware of that. He lives in this world. Uh, how could that not affect you? Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, next question this week comes to us from longtime listener Dell, who writes, after watching Kamara Usman, quote unquote, lap the field, as he put it so nicely, I was thinking of fresh matchups for the man. I do not understand why people are not talking about this. Unquestionably, the fight for Usman right now is a returning Dagestan bear wrestling savant by the name of Habib, probably the best ever, Nurmagomedov. While watching the fight between Colby and Usman, I was utter- utterly amazed by Usman's takedown defense and mainly his ability to sprawl. He might have the best sprawl in the history of the game so why not have the greatest takedown master of all time come back to the octagon for one last fight habib gets a huge legacy fight where he can earn even more accolades by trying to win the welterweight championship also it could give him that much more normal sounding record of 30 and 0 (laughs) and a huge payday uh well i mean the problem here is going to be getting habib Nurmagomedov interested in a matchup like this right okay well that's one problem also though this scenario seems to imagine a situation where habib comes back for just one more fight to make it an, an even 30 and 0 i agree though 30 and 0 definitely 29 and 0 is just such a weird one to end on 30 and 0 that does seem a little bit cleaner but as we know chad habib's longtime manager Ali Abdelaziz, he wouldn't want to be involved in something like that because it's bad for the UFC's business. And that's who he seems to think is his primary uh, fiduciary duty to is to take care of the UFC's business. He said, if there's a situation where a guy's going to come in, win the title and then go just bounce right back into retirement, that's not good. 
it's not good for the sport, not good for the UFC and the belts, and well, so he won't be a part of it. That's exactly what we're imagining was, here, right? He said it was bad for business for one guy to do it. I mean, I agree that this would be an awesome fight. And if you were trying to make a fight where I feel like Usman is getting a fresh test that we haven't seen before that people could get excited about uh, and one that would add something new to the legacy of Habib Nurmagomedov, absolutely, this is 100% the fight. But it's also... There's something, the calculation is off a little bit in terms of how hard a fight it would be for how much of a reward. Because don't you think, I mean, especially in the prize fighting business, if you were going to come back as Habib, they would get in your ear and be like, you know what? The highest selling fight of all time happened to be you versus that Conor McGregor fella. If we did it again, just the history and the numbers indicate we get pretty good returns for everybody. Everybody could get even wealthier off of that. What do you say we do that one? Because I I agree that if he came back and he fought Usman, the heads would love it, man. The MMA nerds, we would nerd the fuck out over it. We would all get excited about it. We would understand what it means and how big a deal it is. But I don't think it does the kind of huge pay-per-view numbers that something like another Habib Conor McGregor fight does. I'm sorry to say that, but that's just the way it is. I don't think that there is just a strong enough impulse to make something like that happen, even though from a purely athletic perspective, that would be the dream fight. Yeah, 100% agree. On paper, in a vacuum, it's absolutely the fight that you would want to make. And for all the reasons that I think Dell points out here, and one that would get us super fucking hyped. Yeah. But it's hard to imagine it ever really coming to fruition. Also, for for the all of the reasons that you just stated, like it seemed like if Habib was going to come back, number one, to try to get to 30 and no, well, huh, the Irish fella seems like the shortest distance between 29 and no and 30 and no, if you're asking me. And he's also going to provide a much, much bigger payday. So if you were going to get Habib to go back on his word to his mom and come out of retirement and have one more fight, it would probably be for the money and the the esteem of defeating Conor McGregor, not necessarily for what I agree would be a huge additional legacy builder to the already almost peerless legacy that Habib has built uh, going up to 170 for a much, much tougher fight against a much lesser known fighter in, in Kamara Usman. So it would be amazing. I just don't know that I can imagine it. However, Habib's been getting a little spicy on the social media accounts these days. Has he? Has he? Well, someone, someone has been, uh, under his handle, largely in, well, it, it, mostly in defense of the spot of Islam Mahachev in the lightweight pecking order. But yeah, maybe, you know, you, you think if I, if I tell you it, it seems like Habib's getting a little antsy, he's getting a little hot foot over there, thinking about coming back, thinking about one more ride, the last ride. You tell me that it's it's actually the manager. The manager has the password and he's the one tweeting the tweets. I mean, I'm still waiting for the day. Where at like a press conference or an interview or something, somebody's like, Habib, you tweeted recently. And he goes, I did what? I have a what account? Yeah. And then uh, he says in, in the Russian accent, the George St. Pierre quote, not one tweet. I never send one tweet. Uh, I mean, you know, it's always a question of whether somebody's going to stick to retirement. He seemed to really mean it. 
just by evidence to how many times Dana White took him out to every conceivable meal option to try to mm-hmm. talk him out of it and get him to come back for at least one more. And he seemed unmoved by all that. But you know what? The You're right about him really pushing Islam Mahachev as, okay, the new heir apparent at lightweight. Maybe that does, though, argue for a better possibility that if he were to get talked into it, if he were to start to to miss that life a little bit, that if he were to come back, he would be more likely to come back and consider something like a welterweight title shot rather than coming back into the division where he'd essentially be a roadblock in his friend's way. So I don't know. If you're trying to talk yourself into believing that this dream of Nurmagomedov versus Usman could happen, that's maybe the best path to, to get yourself there in your imagination. Yeah, Habib walking around with the Zagat restaurant guide to the Las Vegas metro area stuffed in the back pocket of his jeans. Uh, that's going to do it for listener mail. Good question from Dell. Good questions from everybody this week. Thanks to everybody who took the time out to uh, send us a message this week. We got to as many as we could. If you want to air a question, comment, or concern to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Holloway was a big, big favorite heading into this fight with Yair Rodriguez on Saturday afternoon down there at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, the main event of this UFC Fight Night 197 card. And yet, Max Holloway needed to go into the bag of tricks a little bit here to salt away the decision victory over Yair Rodriguez. Some some smothering offense, some takedowns, some timely takedowns and top control from your guy Max Holloway, who still emerges with the victory here and respectable striking numbers and everything else that we expect from him, as well as a fight that is one of the better ones we have seen, frankly, in a string of outstanding fights in the UFC recently and a string of fights. I will say a string of high profile fights where it seems as though the loser has not really lost anything. has not really lost any political capital, uh, you know, besides just losing the fight and suffering the physical damage of the fight, they, they still retain interest and momentum and all that other stuff, which I think is true of Yair Rodriguez, who we can talk about in a minute, but let's first just talk about Max Holloway here, man. Uh, he was a, a prohibitive betting favorite coming into this thing and he, he had to show some mixed martial arts skills to get the win here. Yeah. And you know what? To to his credit, you could see how a lot of fighters in his situation now could get too drawn into this concept of who they are at the exclusion of other things they might be able to do. Like, you know, Max Holloway talks a lot about how he thinks that he's the best boxer in MMA. And we have come to think of him as just a forward pressure volume striker guy who is just going to wear you out that way. And... We've seen in the past where people get praised and lauded for being one type of fighter and whether they realize it's happening or not, they try to deliver 
exactly what everybody expects of him in that sense. And they forget that they also can do other things. And here you saw Max Holloway being like, all right, I can threaten this guy with takedowns every once in a while. I'll give him something to think about there. I can use that to help me uh, win some of these fights on the scorecards. And just seeing him show, okay, I'm still all those other things. I can still do those things when I need them. I'm still insanely tough. I can still get poked in the eye in the fifth round of a fight where we're both leaking blood all over the place and look mostly annoyed at the pause in the ass kicking that the referee is forcing me to endure. You know, I'm still that guy, but I, I'm also a smart, savvy veteran fighter as well. And that's, I think, what really comes across when you watch him now and you watch him in some of these fights with somebody like Yair Rodriguez, who in moments still shows these unpredictable and creative flashes where he can catch you all the time with something. And he's not afraid to try. Even when it's a bad idea, he's not afraid to try. And Max Holloway is still going out there fighting like he has already won and it's just a matter of convincing you and everybody else that he has won. Like that sort of confidence and uh, that that could really only come from experience. And and he's got it now where he, he just feels so rock solid in there that there's never seems to be a moment where he's seriously doubting if he's going to win this fight. Yeah. Uh, in medical science, I think they call that Diego Sanchez disorder where you get real fixated on the one thing that you can do that seems to make people happy. And you're right. It's good. And a good sign, I think for Max Holloway that he showed a, a diverse array of skills, which obviously we know that he has, but he was kind of expected, at least if you believe the odds, to run through Yair Rodriguez, at least in a, a lopsided five round showing that didn't really happen. Like you could make the argument. He lost those first couple of rounds and had to regroup and come back and win the final 15 minutes of this thing. Uh, and he, he was able to do it with, with, you know, some skills that we don't see from him every day. And so I thought that that was a good performance uh, by Max and obviously uh, solidifies his status as perhaps the top contender at 145 pounds. We could talk about in a minute what Dana White has said should be next for Max Holloway. Uh, we are also going to talk about the stuff that Conor McGregor tweeted coming up in round number three. But I did want to ask you before we get into Yair Rodriguez here, Max Holloway still getting hit a lot. And he got hit a lot by Yair Rodriguez in this fight, both upside the head and down low around the calf area, which, by the way, does does Max Holloway, has he been has he been soaking his legs in lye or something with a Jack Dempsey style training regimen here? Because he was eating those calf kicks like he switched stances a few times. But otherwise, no big deal, man. Just out here eating these calf kicks all fight long. Uh but are we worried about the damage that Max Holloway has taken? Because that's been an issue for him in the past, and he's still out here, in theory, the best boxer in the UFC, but also getting hit a lot. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you just convinced me that whether he is incorporating some kind of unorthodox Jack Dempsey-esque training ritual, he should tell people he is, just yeah. to fuck with us. Just chewing just, on tree sap yeah, to strengthen I'm, his jaw. Yeah, I like I like to rub a little tree sap uh, and some turpentine just on my legs uh, first thing every morning, and and that's what I do. And you know what? Why not? Why not just throw that out there and see what happens? But also, I mean, the short answer is yes. We should definitely be worried about damage and the way it's piling up on somebody like Max Holloway because. While I totally get what he's saying when he is out here making the point about how the line at the elevator is really long. A lot of guys just trying to take the elevator to the top and he's going to take the stairs. And that 
the UFC, he said, came to he, him and his team and said, you don't have to take this one. And they talked about it and they decided, you know what? If we say that we're the guy who's willing to fight anybody, then we need to get out there and prove it. And also, if you think you're going to be the champion again, you're going to have to fight these guys eventually anyway. So what are you running from? And I totally agree. I think that there's a lot of stuff to back up that logic in this sport. Like we were making the case just recently against Leon Edwards trying to sit around and think like, well... I haven't totally locked up this title shot, but oh, I lost this contender fight when the, when the guy got pulled from it. I, I'm just going to wait. I think that they're going to give me the title shot. And meanwhile, other people are making their cases out there. That absolutely can happen to you. And so Max Holloway's approach makes a lot of sense. At the same time, the way he fights, he gives you these awesome fights. He, I mean, you look at just some of the great classic fights that Max Holloway has given us just in the last few years. He's going to give you those kind of performances. That's one of the things that makes him still such a, like a capital G guy, even without a belt in that division. But they are coming at a cost, man. And you just can't do it forever. No matter who you are, no matter how smart you are about saving your brain and sparring, no matter just how tough you are. I mean, even though he is chronologically young, still just, just shy of 30 years old, that stuff is going to take a toll. And you, you don't know when you're going to get to the point where you've, you've done more than you can do of it. But you do have to factor that in, I think, when you're telling yourself, like, hey, I might as well keep fighting, working, earning these opportunities. Because it's not free, especially not when you fight like that and when these great classic nights end with both of you guys in the hospital, you know? Yeah. Uh, we did an, a power hour on Friday over on the Patreon page where we talked about the sometimes enigmatic nature of Yair Rodriguez thus far in his UFC career. It had been a couple years since we saw him in the octagon. There had been, uh, some uncomfortable moments when it seemed like he had fallen out with the UFC and even reports from a few years ago that he was briefly cut by the UFC. He returned. He, he spent all of, of 2018, 2019 engaged in this long back and forth feud with Jeremy Stevens, where we had to do the damn thing twice. And that was the last time we had seen him. And he returned to this fight with Max Holloway at the flip side, where Max Holloway was a prohibitive betting favorite. Yaya Rodriguez was a big underdog here. And I felt like if I may borrow a phrase from our pal, Ariel Helwani, this was sort of a y'all must have forgot performance from Yair Rodriguez, where to say that he was game for 25 minutes would be an understatement. Like he was out there going shot for shot with Max Holloway, uh, arguably winning the the first nearly half of this fight, I think, with his low kicks and his, his uh, you know, his strikes and even throwing a little up elbow in there at times, throwing up kicks from his back. And yeah, Max Holloway's uh, volume striking got to him max holloway's pressure got to him max holloway's takedowns and top control got to him but hell man you could say that about any featherweight in the world uh not named volkanovsky right now so like i don't know i watched this fight this was a, like i said the weird fight where this guy comes back after two years and loses and i'm arguably more interesting now more interested in watching yair rodriguez fight and i'm more convinced that he is a top level 145 pound contender than I was before. Yeah. And that doesn't happen all the time. I guess my question is, could Yair Rodriguez get 20% smarter about winning rounds without sacrificing his Yair Rodriguez-ness? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, in this sport, I think as fans, sometimes we are guilty of 
not recognizing that these guys are human and they have human foibles and not everybody has the ability to 100% change the fiber of who they are as a fighter or an athlete. But that doesn't seem like a super impossible task for Yair Rodriguez, right? To like uh, retain the kind of creativeness and aggressiveness and, and power that he has while at the same time adding some wrinkles to the game. Like one of the things we talked about on Friday, it was impossible to believe that Yair Rodriguez and Max Holloway are essentially the same age. Yeah. And that Yair Rodriguez is still just 29 years old. And even though he has also been in the UFC for a long, uninterrupted stretch, if he wants to be here and he wants to do it, he still assumedly has a lot of his athletic prime left to compete in this sport. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to be the person who's like, hey, why can't you just be everything all of the time? I, right. I, I don't want to be like, hey, please th- give us crazy uh, never before seen up angle elbow KO finishes, but also don't be the guy who front flips, kicks his way down to like put himself on his back at crucial moments. Like I understand, like you, you kind of can't have one of those things to some extent without some of the other. Like if to be the guy who's willing to go for this stuff and willing to take those chances, they're not always going to work out. And sometimes then it makes people in these close fights be like, oh, look, he, he's given it away at times. So, like, you don't want to take what's fun and special about the guy and just completely suffocate it. But at the same time, when you do get up there where you're in these kind of fights and where athletically, physically, you seem like you can hang with Max Holloway and the fight's going to be decided by kind of slim margins, a lot of times in those instances, it is the smarter guy, especially smarter in terms of figuring out how to win those rounds when he needs to, who comes out and who gets it. And... How do you strike that balance? That's tough. I guess our uh, coaching advice for Yair Rodriguez is, hey, man, you're really good. Could you just be the best in the world? Yeah, that's what I would do. I would be like, you know, I'd be like, hey, man, let's just hit a home run every time we're at bat. I think I've crunched the numbers and I don't see how that strategy could fail. We think it would work. All right, let's do just, or are you fucking kidding me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, I think we have a joint, are you fucking kidding me this week, which doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes a story so singular and important comes along that we have no choice but to agree on it as our, are you fucking kidding me? And this is one of those weeks where renowned MMA manager, Jason House, done punched his own father at a restaurant. Allegedly. During a business meeting an argument, an altercation that occurred. Allegedly, witnesses say he stood up out of his chair and punched his own father in the face at a restaurant. I know you got a piece about this maybe coming over there to comainevent.com, Ben, but I guess I, I just got to say, you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Especially, it does seem, I mean, we're, again, we're going to say allegedly, as of now, it does seem like there were quite a few witnesses uh, That'll happen when you punch your dad at a restaurant. There, there'll be witnesses when you punch your dad at a restaurant. Look, allegedly, I'm not saying that there's there's never a time when you might ha- have good cause to punch your dad at a restaurant. There, there in the life of a young man, there might be a window of opportunity, but. That window almost never extends to when you are 37 years old and your dad is 60. At that point, you you better have a damn good reason for hauling off and hitting your dad 
at a steakhouse in Mesquite, Nevada, of all places. Here's also one of the the almost LOL bro kind of things about this story is, you know, you got the police report, you got a bunch of witnesses, you got even Jason House's brother being like, yeah, man, he's been talking about how much he wants to beat up our dad for a long time. Like, it's not helping you any, you know, when, yeah. you, when you have that uh. going on. And then on this MMA junkie story where they reach out to Iridium to ask, like, you know, what do you say, like, in response to, like, this very big news story about your CEO. And the response is this, because apparently the story is that they got into an argument over dinner about his father's ownership share of the sports agency. And that was yeah. the catalyst for uh, Jason House punching him. The, here's the quote from uh, the... Oh, there's um, some zingers in this one. The legal counsel for Iridium. Releasing a statement with some zingers Philip in Philip R. Irwin. Quote, Iridium Sports Agency will not comment on the pending criminal matter involving CEO and founder Jason House and his father, Kevin House. With respect to the business dispute between Jason and Kevin regarding Iridium Sports Agency, we categorically reject Kevin's claim that his 20% membership interest in the business has been changed by Jason in any way. Kevin continues to own the 20% membership interest in Iridium Sports Agency that Jason, as the founder and sole member of the company gifted to him in 2011 to the extent Zing. to the extent Kevin pursues legal action related to his minority interest in Iridium Sports Agency unstated there is not legal action related to punching him in the face over and over yeah. again we look forward to defending those claims in court and proving that Kevin's treatment has been more than fair under the law now when Somebody calls up and they're like, hey, do you have this, a comment to this story about your CEO wailing on his dad in a steakhouse in front of multiple witnesses, which resulted in his dad, 60-year-old father, having to go to the hospital and get a blood transfusion and stitches? And you're like, hey, we don't have anything to say about that. This fucking business dispute shit, though. He's wrong and he's a son of a bitch and he's ungrateful. And you're like, kind of seems... Like the force with which you responded to this thing that was supposedly the catalyst of the punching really only makes me come away feeling more confident that the punching happened as described yeah. over this dispute about business ownership. Legal statement doesn't seem to deny the punching at the restaurant. No, no, it does not. I think the window where you can punch your dad at a restaurant closes when you're nine and you're at Chuck E. Cheese, man. You're playing in the ball pit Throw a couple of... One, two combos at the old man. But that's it, as far as I'm concerned. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, the sun will continue to rise and set. The crops will continue to grow. We can all count on another fruitful, prosperous year because we have sacrificed another human being at the altar of Chris Cyborg. Over there in Bellator this time, Sinead Kavanaugh's turn gets in there. You know what? I'll say this. Lands a, lands a good hook there. Lands one yeah. good hook that really clips the jaw of Chris Cyborg and maybe had just enough time to be like, oh, hell yeah, take that. 
and then was looking up at the lights going, what happened? Why is everybody standing over me? I, I was just was just doing pretty well there. You know, uh, a good old-fashioned Chris Cyborg womps on somebody moment. And uh, as we talked about before this one, the odds kind of told you that's what everybody was expecting, right? Another one where Chris Cyborg comes in as a huge prohibitive favorite. She goes, she does what everybody expects. She just plows through a, another opponent who seems more like a victim. And we talked beforehand about whether the most interesting thing about this whole event would be that Kayla Harrison would be in attendance, thus setting up for us the prospect that maybe she'll leave PFL. Maybe she'll make the jump to Bellator. Maybe that's a fight that we can see there. Do you feel like it is more or less likely after everything we saw and heard from all the parties involved? And do you feel like it is more or less necessary after this weekend? Well, I mean, Kayla Harrison is doing the thing that everyone in the world, including every MMA owner and every, uh, Twitter sycophant who goes online to stick up for the UFC's business practice says that fighters should do. We, we Everyone is saying that this is what you should do. And that is, you know, uh, test free agency and get the best contract you can get. And Kayla Harrison has, is actually doing the thing that we continually say everyone should do. She's had a hell of a run in PFL. She's cashed a couple of those big giant novelty million dollar checks. So we assume that the bank account is in a good position. And now she's out here playing footsie with Bellator, uh, saying that she wants to go back to the PFL, but there's no friends in this business. And she understands that. And she and Dana White are, are firing fastballs at each other through this whole thing. And so like, it's, it's a good time to be Kayla Harrison, it would seem. And you got to give her her props for that. She has played it perfectly up to this point. And whether that results in, her coming to Bellator or whether it results in her going back to the PFL or whether it results in her and Dana White bringing a big cake out together and saying, ha ha, we were just kidding about all of these uh, crosswords that we've had with each other. And now she's going to come in here and fight Amanda Nunes. I don't know. And I think we'll probably has to do with who's going to make her the best offer, which again is exactly the thing we keep saying everybody should do. So Kayla Harrison has played it aces as far as I'm concerned, whether or not, I really need to see her come fight Chris Cyborg. It would be a good matchup. It would be entertaining. If Bellator could put it together, it might be one of the biggest fights of the year in any organization. And uh, if you are Kayla Harrison, dare I say, you might like your chances uh, against all odds, against kind of like a, you know, certainly a very dangerous Chris Cyborg. As we saw, this was her first first round stoppage since 2018. She was able to go out there and get it done against 40 to one underdog uh, Sinead Kavanaugh. She's still very dangerous, but like deep in your heart, if you're Kayla Harrison, don't you think I will throw this woman straight on her head and and we will be out of there within a round? Right, right or wrong, that's probably what you think. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's what you have to think. Uh, I also, though, think if you're Kayla Harrison, you're she's smart enough to know that would be that is a thing I could do. That is one of the things. One of the possibilities open to me, but it's not the only one. Like Kayla Harrison really has options here and, and they include everything from staying right where she is and continuing to collect that big ass check every year for, uh, you know, 
beating up a bunch of part-time personal trainers or whoever and uh, going to the UFC and really trying to to go after, uh, like to build to something with Amanda Nunes. You know, that's got to be probably the, the toughest option. And who knows if it would even be the most lucrative option. You would hope so, uh, given how difficult and dangerous it is for the, the most profitable player in the entire sport. But then also there's the cyborg thing where maybe Bellator wants to make something happen there enough that they can make it worth your while. But then also, if you did go over there, it's kind of cyborg and then nothing else. And I would think, though, she has all these options. If you're Bellator looking to do something with cyborg and really looking to do something other than just occasional human sacrifice, you don't have as many options. Like Bellator and cyborg need that more than Kayla Harrison needs it. Because you're just going to, you've already run out of interesting things for Cyborg to do, right? Like even we were sitting around headed into this one being like, what are we even doing here? It's just Cyborg trying to see if she is capable of opening the human skull with her bare hands. Like, is that, is that what we're trying to find out in these fights? Because it doesn't feel like we're trying to find out who the better fighter is with a lot of these matchups. And yet there just aren't a ton of opportunities. And even like you see it in the UFC where you look at the UFC still trying some nominal efforts to continue with a women's featherweight division. And there's just not a ton out there right now yeah. that you could choose from. And so it's not like Bellator has just fallen down on the job or failing to, to, uh, really make an effort. It's just there's just not a whole lot out there to choose from. And Kayla Harrison has the the rare position of being somebody who we all know, care about, and want to see tested in some manner. And she can she's sitting right now at the perfect crossroads to turn that into a big pile of money. Yeah. I think you got to give some props to Scott Coker, who continually seems like he is at least interested in like having conversations with all these people. Like he seems legitimately uh, interested in trying to make some of this big stuff happen for Bellator. But I also agree with you that from a promotional standpoint for the company, it feels like Cyborg has kind of reached a uh, Michael Venom page type situation. We were talking about a few weeks ago on this show where we're like, all right, Bellator, well, you have spent a lot of time investing in the Michael Venom page business. And now if you're going to do anything with him, it seems like it's the time. It seems like the time is now. If you want to convert any of this Michael Venom page investment that you've made into actual seeing if he's good slash promotable fights. And it kind of seems the same way with, with cyborg who fought Julia Budd in her Bellator debut when she came over from the UFC. And since then it's been, you know, she's fighting middling contenders, which has kind of been Chris cyborg's deal for the bulk of her career. Uh, if I'm cyborg and I'm 36 years old, I don't know that if I have a huge problem with continuing to cash these Bellator checks, for also probably beating up a bunch of part-time personal trainers. But I also understand that, you know, a fight against Kayla Harrison, like I said, might be one of the biggest fights of the year. Uh, so I'm probably marginally interested in it. Again, I feel like we're doing a Kayla Harrison uh, heat check every single week. Where do you think Kayla Harrison lands now? Now now, what will be said of Kayla Harrison's future, Ben Folks? Well, I mean, the thing is, when you really sit down and look through her options... There's almost no bad choice. There's almost no way to fuck it up. Unless she was like, you know what? I've decided now is the time to become a bare knuckle boxer. Like, you know, Biloxi, Mississippi, watch out. Here I come. I'm going to yeah, fight a cocktail waitress. Heart. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way you could really screw it up. But like everything else, at least for her and her her 
career in her pocketbook can make some degree of sense for her. I I want to believe that we still live in the world where the UFC cares enough about going and getting people who might be the best and bringing interesting challengers to the champion that it, and realizing the marketability and the the potential to get somebody new who you can really sell fans on. I want to believe we still live in that world where that's important to the UFC. And sometimes I wonder if I am continuing to hold on to that hope and that belief despite evidence that the UFC sees itself heading in a different direction. Especially when you yeah. see news out today where like, you know, from Endeavor where they're saying, hey, this our, this division of, of sports properties we have that of which the UFC is the bulk is doing fucking great. We're doing way better than we ever thought we would. Just, just printing money over there. And that kind of seems like an argument in favor of the UFC's view, which is uh, no one of these people really mean that much. We, it's it's our brand that means it. we don't have to go spend a bunch of money on Kayla Harrison. We're going to be making tons of money no matter what we do, no matter who we put out there. So what do we need to pay her a high price tag for? Let Bellator have yeah. her, let PFL have her, who, we don't care. Yeah. I, I fear that that might be the reality. Yeah, you would think, especially since Kayla Harrison seems like a version of Ronda Rousey who is actually... Uh, legitimately inspirational that she would make some sense as a promotional chip for the UFC. Uh, but at the same time, I think you're right. Like I would be kind of surprised if the UFC were willing to break the bank to make Kayla Harrison the best offer to have her come over and fight the people that they have over there. And if I'm Kayla Harrison, the only way that I'm going to the UFC is number one, if they make me the best offer, because obviously the fights are going to be the toughest over there. So I would want to get an even bigger novelty size check than the ones I've already got in my collection. Uh, or if I'm just, you know, one of these people that cares a ton about legacy and she's actually not just BSing us when she says she's going to go down as the greatest women's fighter of all time, which for a person who comes out of this uh, Olympic judo program, I could believe. But I also think, you know, Kayla Harrison's only 30, 31 years old. Uh, if she wants to keep, cashing them checks in the PFL or if she thinks she can get a better deal from Bellator for for beating up some some PFL style competition you can't really be mad at her no, for taking those taking those choices all right uh, that's gonna do it for round number two we're gonna get started with round number three Ben, it should come as a surprise to absolutely no one that Conor McGregor was extremely online on Saturday during UFC Fight Night 197 and that he had some things to say about the people involved. Tweeted and deleted from Twitter, he goes on a bit of a, uh, a tweet storm here about Max Holloway. Hey, Twitter, exclamation point, he says. The fighter that has absorbed the most head strikes in UFC history competes tonight. Max Holloway can't wait to watch. And then he comes back, best boxer my ass crack. The guy's been smacked the most smacks in UFC history. Most shot shots absorbed is not the best boxer, guys. I'm sorry, and I love the kid. It does legitimately seems like he's very fond of him, if I can, just from the tenor of these tweets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the kicker, Ben, Conor McGregor comes back and he posts this video of himself pacing around in a in a darkened room in front of 
the television screen while Max Holloway is getting ready to fight. Like, Conor McGregor is engaging in some fantasy roleplay here where he and Max Holloway are about to do the damn thing. I'm almost lost for words, but what at this point can be said of this Conor McGregor video pacing around in front of the television? You know what the worst part is about doing a video like this? Is that it forces us all to consider who is on the other end of the camera and what the conversation was like there where you were like, hey, hey, help me out here a minute. Um... I need you to just record just a video. Like, don't don't follow me with the camera. You just keep it steady on the TV. The important thing is that I'm going to be pacing in and out of the frame. Like, that's... You just kind of... Don't worry. It'll it'll make sense when I post it. Like, people will get it. You don't have... It's, it, it forces up to, to imagine this conversation happening. And that's kind of sad. You know? Or just kind of desperate like be like all right should i have to have the shirt on? no i definitely want the shirt off for this like i'm gonna I, I i want people to believe that i'm just i'm watching tv by pacing back and forth shirtless in front of the screen as i watch and then the other part of it is we must ask to what end because i don't really believe that conor mcgregor is planning on fighting max holloway you know, like, I don't believe that he believes it. So what are you doing? Is it just your desperate desire to be in the conversation, whether you're yes. doing anything or not? Is that it? Is it, yes. do, do you have a, a a thing that springs off of that plan? Like, what is 1B on that list? Like, okay, once you do that, are you just worried about slipping into irre- irre- irrelevance? And so you're hoping if I can just use whatever anybody else is doing, stay in the conversation, then if an opportunity does come around where I see a fight opportunity I like, then I can jump on it and they won't forget about me and I'll still be able to come back in there and do my thing. Is that it? Or is it just, Is it, does it not even think that far? Is the plan just, they're talking about somebody who isn't me. I want them to be talking about me. Yes. Uh, I think that desperate is the right word for it. And it seems to me now that I consider it that maybe Conor McGregor and John Jones have the same attention deficit disorder. And by that, I mean that when there is an attention deficit focused on them, a deficit of attention, they can't really handle it and they have to start tweeting and deleting to some stuff here. Uh, do you think it would be it would be less sad or more sad, though, if there were not another person in the room with Conor McGregor and he had merely hit record on his iPhone and leaned it up against his copy, his video copy of The Secret, and then went out there and, and paced back and forth by himself? Man, you know, that's a tricky one, because if... If maybe you were you were hanging out with family and friends in another room and have leading a, like a, just a, a rich life as a person, and you were like, "Hey, oh wait, hold up, I gotta go do this thing. I gotta, yeah, I gotta, I, I gotta smash some great content. Yeah, for yeah. all my followers, I gotta show out for the gram here or, or whatever it is. Like maybe that's better. Otherwise, if you know, you're you're saying something like, "Hey." Hold this. 
hold this while I while I do this thing to try to make this whole situation about me. And they're, oh, are you planning on fighting Max Holloway? No, no. But I just need people to think that I might be considering it. It gets me back in the conversation. Uh, Dana White is out at the press conference uh, saying it's silly to even consider anything with Conor McGregor right now while he's while he's still uh, injured, given the distinct impression he would not want to put Conor McGregor anywhere within the punching vicinity of Max Holloway. Uh, you've got Jorge Masvidal and his whole team who had gone back and forth with McGregor again this whole this whole week, kind of talking about how the line is still that Masvidal is too big for Conor McGregor and that fight won't happen. And then you got Michael Chandler out here so trying to seduce this man, trying to kill him with kindness, telling him, oh, I, Conor McGregor changed the whole game. That's, that's why I want to fight Conor McGregor. He revolutionized the sport. I would love to get in there with a legend. A legend like Conor McGregor, and let's have a red panty night. Let's let's all make some money. It's just like he's trying to butter you up, Conor McGregor. We all see what you're doing. We all see what you're doing. M- Michael Chandler trying to catch some flies with honey over there is what you're doing, and it might work. It just might work. Yeah, it might. Um, I mean, to some extent, you could argue that if Conor McGregor just wants to be in the conversation, it's working because here we are. And you know, yeah, but it's not a good conversation. Like, it's maybe, not great. Uh, it's better, it, however, than a series of crimes. <laughs> Another thing he is capable of. So maybe that is the way you're looking at it. You're like, I would like f- for there to be a Conor McGregor headline that is not "LOL, this motherfucker broke his leg." LOL, uh, he's getting, you know ignored on the red carpet and has to act up and then they have to hand him his cane back afterwards uh you know lol he is committing crimes i would like them to just talk about who might conor mcgregor fight next this is a way to at least steer the conversation back in that direction and maybe to that extent it actually works i mean i get what we're saying if we're like oh you know it's silly to talk about maybe a max holloway rematch with conor mcgregor right now just because of you know where conor mcgregor is and then where max holloway is instead though we're going to turn around we're going to talk about max holloway fighting alexander volkanovsky for a third time which i i agree that back when alex said it before are we just going to do one of these until he loses because that's that is the thing. Like, if you go and you do another one of those fights instead, it's you know it's silly to talk about this one. Let's go ahead and let's talk about Max Holloway, who was zero two against Alexander Volkanovsky, fighting him again, and then, god damn it, it's almost worse for you if he wins. Because then if he wins, we go shit. So now the guy who is losing in this best of three series so far is the champion. So I guess we got to do it again, but then fuck, we're like, are we just in a world series mode at that point? Like, eh, I wouldn't be so sure to say like one of one option is silly and another option is not at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. seems like, you know, 10 years ago or so we were calling Conor McGregor a genius for continually keeping the spotlight focused on him. And now it just seems kind of desperate. And that's, that's a little sad. All right, let's do just saying stuff, and then they will. We will get out of here for this week, Ben. What's your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, did you see that once again? Sean Strickland is out here posting video evidence against himself. It seems this time being involved in a what appears to be a road rage incident where he's trying to like pull up on people who he's mad at while driving and trying to convince them to engage in a fist fight with him without weapons, and. 
first of all, I'm just saying, you don't have to be filming everything that goes on in your life. And second of all, if you do film it, I'm just saying, you don't have to post it all. Thirdly, I'm just saying, we seem to be on a trajectory where Sean Strickland inevitably feels like he's headed towards some kind of felony trial. It's as of yet undetermined exactly how serious the charges might be. But he seems to be trying very hard to convince us that uh, he will not be held by the laws of man forever. And I'm just saying, it seems like everything he is doing is like he's trying to make it as easy as possible on his eventual prosecutor. Because you don't need to be going out here and collecting a bunch of evidence or testimony against Sean Strickland. He's going to do it for you. Because he's always going to have his phone out, videotaping himself, doing this stuff, and then offering copious commentary about it and his thought process. It's like, how do I prove premeditation against Sean Strickland? Oh, I don't know. His Instagram videos are going to do it for you. Because he is going to talk about it, about how much he wanted to do this. I'm just saying, man make the criminal justice system work harder to get you. I'm just saying, you know, just saying, I'm just saying if a professional MMA fighter pulled up on me in traffic and was like, Hey, I'm mad because you cut me off. Let's engage in a fight without weapons. I would be like, Oh no, 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 I'm definitely going to use a weapon. Yeah. I'm a weapons guy. Big weapons guy over here. hundred percent going to use a weapon in this fight. Definitely going to use one. Uh, Ben, why does Junior Dos Santos appear to have more sad stories about stuff that happened to him while he was in the UFC than anybody else? Oh, no. Here's one that he told to Sunsport this week where he says, when I fought Mark Hunt in 2013, I had two bonuses of the night, best fight of the night and best knockout of the night. And Mike Tyson was there watching the fight. And at a press conference after the fights, Dana White said, Junior Dos Santos has won two bonuses of the night, best fight of the night and best knockout of the night. But I was asking Mike Tyson, and he told me to give the knockout of the night to somebody else. (laughs) Mike Tyson said, why give two bonuses to one guy? So he took away from me $50,000. So he owes me $50,000. He deprived me of that. Man, once again, I must ask, I must just say, Ben Folks, why they do that why does everyone keep making junior dos santos so sad when it is clear that he deserves from this life of ours nothing but happiness okay i'm just saying (laughs) is it possible that mike tyson's own sense of how much junior dos santos was making per fight is skewed by his experiences in boxing is he like why would you get the guy two bonuses he's probably making you know 25 30 million a fight right yeah, so what is he going to do? Buy two watches? Yeah, buy, buy buy two tigers? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. And and not realizing that maybe he would actually notice that extra fifty grand in his pocket. It's possible, man. Anything's possible. I'm just saying. Uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And that's going to wrap it up this week for the proper. Remember, we will be at the Patreon page all week with the Wednesday live chat, Thursday doing the damn thing, and Friday power hour. If you want to join the team over there, just go to patreon.com slash co-main event and check us out. Headed into this weekend, we got the UFC fight night event where Ketlin Vieira will fight Misha Tate, and you got Mike uh, Michael Chiesa in the co-main against Sean Brady. So uh, we'll be checking that out. Hit us up on Patreon. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Hey, I want this to just be kind of like a standing agreement between us that 
if I ever say something that then costs a UFC heavyweight some money, like I say, don't give him some money, and somebody does not give him some money, please don't tell him that it was me. Oh no! I don't want him using weapons. I don't want him to know. I don't want him to know that, like, hey, it was this guy who said, "Don't give him the money." I mean, maybe Mike Tyson can can walk around with that. If it's if it's me, don't tell him. Yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Chuck Mindenhall. That's who yeah. I would say. <laughs> Chuck was like, man, fuck Junior. Guy in the back in a hat said it. That's mm-hmm. that's all I know. I'm pretty sure it was Mindenhall. I know Luke Thomas was like, no, he he just he just blow that money. It's 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 wasted on him. Give it to somebody else. Ben had to laugh just to go along with it. I was scared. I just wanted to be down.